What is this? This is two on one, two on one, two on one. This is, hi, uh, this is two on one, the internet's most sensational podcast, wherein we talk about pop culture and theology with guests, and they sometimes pick the topic, and we sometimes pick the topic, and sometimes it's seasonally appropriate, and sometimes it's not. I'm always in season, ripe and ready to go, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. You are always in season, uh, and I am a seasonal <laughs> Seasonal uh, pumpkin spice, <laughs> something. Uh, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. All right, I love pumpkin spice because it's Me also too. apple pie spice. It's also like it's things the- that, yeah, like it's getting colder out. Let's be comfortable. I have theories about pumpkin spice, but I don't need to talk about them except to say, do you think? Okay, if you could create a liturgical season that's mm-hmm. not a liturgical season right now, like what what would you do for pumpkin spice season that starts on September first? Well, first of all, as we it starts September first or October first. What were you saying? It starts September first. The pumpkin spice latte people are like, they're, yeah, yeah. they're with it. Well, as we know, like we talked earlier, like, you know, my orange October is a real thing for me. And I feel like I would probably bring that into September then if we're going to make it a liturgical season, because I feel like it goes September 1st to like through Halloween. Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes kind of later, but I think you move into the peppermint series like after Thanksgiving. And so, um, you know, I think that there's something to the warm and the coziness of of what pumpkin brings. I don't think it's necessarily like I mean, pumpkin's delicious, but I think it's really like it's a, it's a flavor that I associate with like a changing of the like themes and tides. Like you, if you're out of you're kind of heading into fall. You're out of summer. You're out of that. It's it's less hot than the red of summer, so you're moving into the orange that kind of like changes. And yeah, no, I like that because like I think you and I both really have an affinity for autumn. Uh, we do. I think that's like our favorite season, and also because it's right before Advent. I would do three weeks, the three or four weeks in November that we're never sure what to do with, because if we do things right, the congregational meetings done, the budget set, we've done stewardship. I always call it dead season because it's when we talk about like the big Matthew 25 parables and like the, the end of the world is coming and it needs to because so mine would be more Brown and tan, but with pops of red and orange and acorns and dead leaves. And uh, I bring this up because I was thinking about it. If we made up liturgical seasons for our own use, views, ideas, like if you do creation tide in September, which I have a few friends who do that, or if you do mercatide between Memorial Day and Labor Day, you can have uh, vestments and paraments and all sorts of liturgical textiles custom made by our sponsor, Jeff Wanro designs. Did you see that coming? I'm pretty sure I saw. I, that. you know, I, I saw where it was going. I can. Yep. I was picking up what you were putting down, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because we talk a lot about this a lot, like even offline. It's like, well, what Jeff tech? Or like, what Jeff tool do I want next? What, like, you know, we're always like, what, which one do you want? And so, like, I love thinking about what that might look like. Um, I, I still am designing one in my head that I'm trying to get in before the. Uh, December 31st deadline for the two on one code. And so oh. like, what does that, you know, I'm trying to be like, what does a two on one uh, stole look like? Because, you know, you and I in the coming year, years, we'll have uh, some, some live shows coming up that we've talked about. Well, and we need to have them for when we finally have general assembly in person, because we're going well, to have a booth where we don't do anything, but we just talk to people and it'll be great. 
you know, working on it. So anyways, um, you know, listeners, as, as if you are thinking of those things as well, make sure you use the code two on one, uh, all letters, no numbers at, you know, the drill for 15% off good. That code is for sure. That code is the only, uh, is the best code through the end of the year and is only good through the end of the year. So make sure you use it. Go to jeffwonrow.com, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com. Look at me go, crushing that. Knocking it out of the park. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, and use the code at, you know, go after the show as we all know, Um, but make sure you click uh, all the way to the end to enter the code. Don't just quicken Apple Pay as we all want to do this season. That's fair. And in case this is the first time you're ever listening to an episode, uh, hi, welcome. welcome. We have a lot of fun. Jeff Wonder Designs not only does stoles, which you can get 15% off your entire stole purchase, but also pyramids, banners, basically anything that covers the sanctuary yeah. walls, table, or uh, anything else, Jeff Wonder Designs has you covered too. Uh, mm-hmm. We thank you, Jeff, for being our lead sponsor, Spiff. Yes, honey. I noticed that you're the pumpkin queen, and I, I want you to follow me to the April Fool's tree, which is a shrub. Uh, let's bring in our guest. This is Shandaja, Shandaja, Shandaja. This is Shandaja. <laughs> we've, you're we've, coming up with a, th- a theme song? This is Shandaja, Shandaja, Shandaja. Totally works. There is a new two-on-one theme song out there, Jesus. If you haven't seen it, uh, that heads our um, heads our videos. But, oh, that's right. You know, but we may uh, need to change it for. We may need to record for this show, <laughs> at least especially for this episode. Well, and we missed it. We missed it for the Hamilton because we should could have done Shonda Ja on two-on-one. Oh my gosh! Now we're really slacking. Okay, before we get sued, Shonda, welcome to. Uh, two on one, and today we're talking about the nightmare before Christmas. Yes, we are. I'm very excited to do so. So, can I just say confessionally, um, when Arthur reached out to me, it was maybe mid October, and I was like, Oh, they had a guest cancel, I got to come up with a Halloween themed thing. Um, so there's a lot of debate is this the best Halloween movie ever made, or is it an entirely adequate Christmas movie? Um, Yeah, best and so we ever made is Hocus Pocus. So, huh. I mean, it's a that's a good movie. That's a Shonda, before we get into it, <laughs> and you tell me why I'm wrong, and that's okay. Uh, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners and our viewers? Who <laughs> Absolutely can. So, my name is Shonda Ja. My pronouns are she or they. I live in occupied Ohlone territory, which is also known as Oakland, California. Uh, I am an anti-oppression consultant who comes to this work, actually, thanks to having done it for many, many years as a Disciples of Christ pastor. Hmm. So that's what brings me here. I'm also a writer. You are. And in fact, Wait a minute. Right now, are you a writer? <laughs> having gone live with it. Oh, wait, I was going to put it up on this side so you could see it. You happen to write this devotional that I'm using as we speak, as are many disciples and other people. What is it? It is a devotional for Advent that reminds us that we have all sorts of spiritual ancestors journeying with us to that moment of the birth of Jesus. Uh, And it, it really helps connect us with all of the folks who have been a part of nurturing, nourishing, uh, midwifing, all Mm. sorts of Christ moments into the world uh, so that we can feel less alone in that journey these days. 
Well, that's fantastic. It's called Traveling with Our Ancestors, an Advent Devotional. Uh, you can get it from a variety of places. I recommend you go to chalicepress.com. Chalice Press is the publisher of this. It's four bucks for like an entire, this beautiful, like big, look at this. It's a season of devotions, all for you for $4 from Chalice Press and Shonda Ja. Incidentally, I just have to share, I saw in some disciples group, somebody's like, yeah, I make photocopies of it. Every, every day for my my church folk and publisher of chalice press brad lyons was like hey maybe don't do that <laughs> just maybe it's also i'm just you know I, I read a lot of devotionals and read a lot of uh you know we all do just kind of what pastors do is you're trying to figure out like what do you send out to your people how do you, yeah. you know how do you helpfully how do you faithfully help your communities like journey well towards the seasons of life that kind of are punctuated with these big days, right? Christmas, Easter, Advent, all of the things. And like, not only is this like just beautifully written, like, and not that (laughs) I was like, I hope this doesn't sound like I was shocked, but it's more just like, like it's good theology. It's got good. And like, and that's just rare, you know, like I, both love and hate this season because I love it because I love thinking about how do I prepare both myself and my faith and my heart for, and, and the people that I serve um, to enter into this season yet again, anew. Uh-huh. And so, um, and, and, you know, and, but then like, I'm trying, I also collect mini nativities, like they, yes. like smaller than your fist is like kind of my rule of thumb. And I have, I get one a year and I like, you know, go after them, but they have to be, appropriately looking um, uh-huh. and or expansive understandings of the Holy family, right? No, no white Holy family in, in this home um, <laughs> because it does not ring true to who I understand um, the Bible to be written by for or about. Yeah. Um, but like, and so like, but then you get all the pictures of like the little white, you know, like the little white baby Jesus that they want you to send to everyone. And I was like, Oh, no, we're not going to do that. Yep. And so like, so refreshingly and so faithfully to who you are, you know, I just like open like page one. I was just like, yes, like, thank you. Like this is, this is the work that the world needs. Um, oh. it's the work that you do so wonderfully. And I am so grateful, but so that's my big plug for all y'all. Out oh, there. I so appreciate just that. Good, deep theology that helps you journey well in season, in this season of life. Shonda's work is great. The best is yet to come because every time she puts something out, it's just the next, it's the next step. It's the next thing. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Welcome. (laughs) Fun fact. I am one of the uh, endorsers of Shonda of her work because I wrote down that I was a renegade baker and Shonda's like, I just need to use your name. People will figure it out. (laughs) Okay. Now back to the nightmare before Christmas, Uh, the 1993. Yes. 93 is correct. The claymation. Um, Although its story. origin story goes back to 1980. Okay. We'll get there later. It. You yes. tell me about it. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, what is known as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas is a story of Halloween town in a world where every holiday has its own town. And uh, Jack Skellington, the pumpkin king, has become weary of doing the same thing over and over and he stumbles upon Christmas town and has a great idea for how he can transform uh, Christmas and find new life 
for himself in this new place and in the taking over of somebody else's traditions. So in many ways, somebody, I, I recently read somebody say it is the best movie ever made about cultural appropriation. Right. Because Jack's intentions are so good. Oh, yeah. And he's so excited and yeah. he wants everyone to know it. And then they end up kidnapping Santa and giving people shrunken heads on Christmas, um, which makes my heart happy still. <laughs> it's so good. And I will admit for all you dudes out there. Uh, so I'm a big Tim Burton fan, have been for years, mm-hmm. have somehow avoided watching this until last night. Wow. Uh, and so what, you know, watching- was it because you were afraid to be disappointed? No, like, honestly, just didn't know where it fit into the seasons. I have really like I kind of have specific shows and things that I watch in different seasons. Like Edward Scissorhand is my Tim Burton Christmas movie. Um, And just kind of it's like wintry kind of wonderlandness. Yeah. And what does it mean to kind of piece ourselves back together? Um, And so for whatever reason, it just kind of like. And I once showed it to a youth group. I just was the youth minister. So I didn't get to sit down and watch it. Like it was mm-hmm. just kind of like playing in the back. So this was like, I'm going to sit down and finally watch this. And y'all, it is so delightful. Like it is. It's, it's, and it was, it's very church, which is wild. Totally. Totally. Do you mind talking about that for a second? No, not at all. Um, I need to turn into the host on your show. Sorry. (laughs) You've finally done it. This is what we look for is a conversation between friends as we post. We can now shut down the show. Augustus finally done what they're supposed to do. This has been the two-on-one project. I'm Arthur Stewart. We'll see you next week. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. um, So especially in this, so we are a community that is still online. Um, and for lots of different reasons, one is that we are doing construction at the church Two is that we just are kind of posture has always been equitable, um, and just accessed for everyone to the vaccines and four and under still don't have them. And so like, we're still online. And, um, and one of the questions that I continue to ask myself is, you know, in this season, these last two years, we have asked people to find meaning at home outside of the walls of the church how will we come back together and hold space for that Um, and not just lean right into this is how we have done it always and whatever, Mm -hmm. because maybe you've been at home and you watch with us every single week and you come to our ministries, but maybe like you start your morning lighting a candle or what, you know, like, I don't know, like there's just different spaces. And so how to um, build new community while holding um, the individual traditions that have come out of this time apart um, faithfully together with also out appropriating them because my community happens to be one that's right. super diverse in culture and right. um, and things. And so like different languages, different themes, different cultures, like how do we hold that well without appropriation? And so, um, and Jack doesn't do that well. Um, right. Comes right on in and it's just like, I'm going to do the thing. And um And so anyways, I think it's such a beautiful kind of like, um, what lane are you in as your church? Like, who are you as a church and identity, I think is a real part of like this narrative that's happening. And, um, and also how can you grow through relationships with each other? So that's how I saw church really at play. Mm -hmm. Did you see that too, Arthur? I did. I, I think I was. I think I was just kind of amazed that like Jack Skellington can do no wrong. Like that's what amazed me. Like he doesn't show up 
He doesn't participate in people's lives. He gives no explanation as to why he's gone. He shows up with like this wacky, like, hey, guys, uh, there's there's actually life outside of it. And we're doing this wrong. And I'm going to try to scientifically prove Christmas, which <laughs> we can talk about a thousand different ways in that. Oh, yeah. Um, it's I didn't see a lot of church in Jack. I saw a lot of or rather I didn't see a lot of the good church. Oh, Jack. Yeah. Um, I didn't see admirable church. I will say, um, God, it's like, it's, it's, it, I, I don't think I've, I, and I will admit, I watched the movie today as I was uh-huh. doing other things. I haven't seen it in years and years and years and years. There's a lot of things where I'm like, well, this is the rough part of joy, isn't it? This is where, uh, this is where the pink candle gets too hot to handle. Ooh, didn't mean to rhyme it, but I'm going to claim I did. So good. That's awesome. Shana, what about you? Where, where, yeah, where, 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 where is the church? So it's interesting because, uh, Arthur, when you're saying, you know, Jack Skellington can do no wrong. Th- when I was rewatching it yesterday, um, I was really struck by one line where the mayor of Halloween Town shouts, I'm just an elected official. I can't make decisions without you. And I found myself like thinking, oh, my gosh, that's the worst part of church, right, is the choice to disempower oneself, even when one has power. That's also a lot of what I've been thinking about related to racism and allyship is people who have power denying that they have it so that they don't have to use it. Not even not even maliciously, but the idea of conceiving of themselves as having power is um, well, is daunting. If you do, if you opt out, then you don't have to sacrifice anything. And so this is where, and this is where that, like, Jack, the main character, is incredibly lonely. Um, So this is where I actually saw the heartbreaking part of church in in the show. And, um, And because... He's the only person who has, he has a lot of responsibility. He, he doesn't have any accountability. Often those things go hand in hand. Uh, there's a reason that um, porn addiction is so high among clergy, that isolation, that responsibility, that lack of uh, accountability um, play into each other in such uh, heartbreaking ways. So I have some empathy for Jack. It's a really lousy position to be in. And a lot of the way we do church with traditional pastoral structures um, creates an awful lot of jacks. It it really does. And maybe, and I think that that's maybe also why I saw church often in it too. You're right? welcome, Arthur. There, there's that, uh, that loneliness that if you don't, and the, um, that a, the loneliness that accompanies any clergy person, not just not just if you are partnered or not or whatever that looks like, right? Because we we think of loneliness as a kind of a solo act, where it's like you can be alone. Like I'm alone. I feel lonely often in a city of eight million people. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and so, how do we make sure that in our attempt to connect, we do so with? Um, with an understanding of the privileges that we carry into the relationship. It does, I serve a church that does not identify within the white church context and yet has a history there. And yeah. so like, how do I keep myself from saying, oh, but like historically we have done this. How do, you know, what a cool thing to celebrate when like it just doesn't ring true to who we are authentically as a worshiping body. Yeah. And so um, even though it, it's part of it is very easy to lean into the want to connect and the want, you know, the things that are familiar. And so, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> All that. that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can I share the thing that I found inspiring and kind of the best of church about the movie? It actually wasn't in the film itself, although maybe it was, and I just didn't notice. I a year ago, I stumbled upon this uh, Netflix documentary series called The Movies That Helped Make Us, I think. Yes. yes. And they did one specifically on this movie, um, on the making of the process of making uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And part of the reason it took so long to make this movie, like I said, 83 was when uh, Tim Burton started doing the first sketches while he was an animator at Disney. And he showed it to the folks at Disney and they were like, yeah, this is not our brand. Um, But he met other people who weren't very good at being Disney-esque. He met other oddballs, right? And the people who eventually, because he becomes such a big uh, star, He's able to draw a huge team around this, which does eventually get Disney backing, kind of, and then not, and then again. Um, But they described themselves as a team of oddballs. These folks who didn't fit together, who didn't fit in any place, finally fitting in in a place because they had found each other. Well, I mean, it's 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 peak Tim Burton uh, or it's peak pre Johnny Depp Tim Burton. It's come off Batman. He's got Danny Elfman doing his weirdo stuff and he's doing a project that's just been kind of like percolating in him. I think I read somewhere that one second of film took 12 minutes and like eight people. They were doing like two minutes a week. Yeah. So that's, that to me was church in there. One minute of film takes 12 minutes and eight people. Yeah. Um, That's that's, yeah. Well, and I wonder if, you know, and if this rings true for either of you, um, I don't know, because I've, for as mainstream as things that I like and things that I happen to like kind of lean into sometimes, I've always been a little bit of the oddball, like in the communities that I have been, right, it was theater kid, like just like even now, like the religious one in my group, like I'm not, that's a real, there are people in my life that are like, I'm sorry. the least fun Spice Girl to be. It is the least fun Spice Girl to be. Uh, (laughs) Holy spice. Like yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh gosh. Um, but so I wonder in those spaces, I thrived when I met other weirdos and not when I, you know, and I felt very alone and very kind of um uh, I don't know, like I, I'm not at my healthiest when I'm not around the people that allow me to thrive and you can't thrive in places that try and like squelch your weirdness. Yeah. And, and I think that we do that. Well, in my experience, we do that a, a lot as a church. We say, everyone is welcome here. Come on in, come be your, come be you. And yet very few places say, you know, like once you're in there, they continue to celebrate that weirdness rather than say like, oh, here's how we do this now that you're in here, not how can we be anew now that you are here? Yep. Yep. And I think that's why that story had kind of inspired me. I was like, oh, this is what church can be. Yeah. Um, Not always is, not always is, but it's certainly what church can be. It's certainly what, uh, certainly what Jesus and the disciples were. They were really a bunch of weirdos. They did not belong together. They, yeah, Arthur made me read um, uh, Lamb uh, in yes. November, right? And that's like such a great enca- uh, Chris Moore, Christopher Moore, right? Yes, it's my favorite gospel. I know. Like, um, 
And so I felt an obligation to read it. And it really does such a great job of capturing, right? This like collection of people who do not belong together and who are not well received in the broader community, a lot of them. Um, and that that's what helps them create community. I, I think one of my, actually that entire book is my favorite. I love when John at one point, uh, the disciple John is like, there goes a woman I sure like women and they're all just quiet. And Jesus is like, you don't have to pretend. <laughs> and they just keep moving. And it's yep. just the most beautiful gift, uh, especially because it's John and it makes so much more sense. Anyways, um, I did want to ask about our dear friend. Um, do you want to talk about the weird little awful children or do you want to talk about uh, our dear friend, Sally? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about Sally for a second. So Sally is a corpse bread. Um, and I looked at all these okay. theories about like, there's the Tim Burton-y like animated movies and they say they're all connected, but I don't think that's the case. Um, but Sally is, is a, is a Frankenstein's monster, but she's like Finkelstein's monster. And she doesn't want to be with Finkelstein. And she continues to knock him out with deadly nightshade, which I think is a misnomer. Um, or perhaps she does kill him and death works differently in Halloween town, but she continues to escape, but she doesn't know where to go. One is the relationship of Sally to Dr. Finkelstein harmful or abusive. Yes. Hmm. Um, but that is to say, okay. How about this within the church? Sally is this beautiful new thing that is looking for her place and she is perpetually sent back to where she was. Mm. How do we get the church to start letting Sally not have to make Santa costumes and throw herself out of the window to escape? Metaphorically. Shauna? Uh, so I think it's a great question. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting from the documentary was um, Danny Elfman's then girlfriend actually had to rescue the script because the guy they had writing the script um, liked uh, liked cocaine a little bit too much. Um, and so he spent all of the money on the cocaine and then had too much in his system to write anything. Uh, so last minute she gets pulled in. She's She was a legendary script writer. I mean, I think she had worked she had actually yeah. worked with Tim Burton on Edward Scissorhands um, and had been too confident in her work, which had damaged their relationship, which is why she wasn't called in immediately. Uh, that said, she noticed that Sally was incredibly underdeveloped and she built out that character, right? Um, and I think that's worth noting because the other major takeaway of this movie is for the love of Christ, listen to women. Um, right. So I, it's like the overwhelming message. Even Santa Claus says it at one point. Um, I think you would have been really well served to listen to her. Um, so that's, that's something else we can talk about later. But um, what I think is interesting is that the screenwriter who wrote Sally into developed Sally's character. Caroline Thompson. Thank you. Um, Caroline Thompson had very much written herself into the character as someone who is always being ignored by the men around her, who is always having her opportunities limited. Um, I don't know that the romantic part was supposed to mean anything. I think that was more, it's a Disney movie, but um, I think it was, infinitely platonic i mean i know it was somewhat romantic but it's it was 
I think if it had been made 10 years later, it would have been 100% platonic. I think they were obligated to make it a vaguely romantic thing. Well, because it comes out amidst all the like real Disney like princesses, and so it's like yeah, yeah, it's it's in it yeah, it's deep in that Renaissance. Yeah, so I think that the question still is is a really good one, Arthur. Um, You know, it's about yeah, yeah. I don't know that I have a good answer to it. I think it's a really good question. Well, I so for me, I saw I think the flip side of it. I think I see us uh, the church as you know the creator of Sally. Like the here are all the bits and pieces that we want out of a person that we want. Like we continue to build and mold, and then all of a sudden it becomes sentient and leaves us, and we don't know why. But it's because we've take we haven't allowed Sally to be Sally. We've allowed Sally to be the mix mash of parts that we hope sally would be and just because we helped birth something new does not mean we have ownership on that person forever right and so i think i think the church often is like let's raise these kids in in the church the way that we know and and which Mm. we don't really know much more than that and that's okay but when they start to exhibit their own understanding of who they are and their relationship to both self yeah. and other and God, we say, no, 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 you have a role here. It's this. Why are yeah. you deviating rather than saying, oh, wow, all these things and the way that we've put them together have brought something new. And then we have beautiful people throwing themselves out the back doors and never coming back. Yeah. yeah and we wonder why they don't come back. And it's like, well, because we didn't, we built them into something that could thrive and we barely allow them to survive. Yeah. And so Arthur, I, I suspect you asked the question because you might have some thoughts on it. Let me toss one other kind of parallel metaphor into it. I love um, parallel metaphors. I, I wonder how we look at it if, uh, the, if the church is Halloween town. And mm-hmm. I think I'm thinking about that because uh, we all have been witness to many of us in faith communities have been very, very conscious of the increase in domestic violence rates uh, during COVID. Anytime there's an economic downturn, when people with economic instability are forced to stay with people who bring economic stability, that uh, we watch domestic violence rates increase. Um, one of our friends, I think, uh, if you all don't know Katie Valentine, if the audience doesn't know Katie Valentine, you all should. Uh, one of the most brilliant scholars on trans inclusion in the Bible, who has a program called Thresholds of the Soul. Um, and that program, thresholdsofthesoul.org, good luck spelling thresholds correctly, but uh, thresholdsofthesoul.org actually has a course specifically on the role the church can play in supporting people who are dealing with domestic violence. Um, And so it's, what's heartbreaking is how many people are witness to the, and everybody knows Sally's trying to get away. And even so, uh, she gets pulled into other stuff. People, you know, people don't engage, people don't protect. Um, And so if the church is Halloween town, um, I think that that gives us an opportunity to, to reflect on how do we show up for people who are uh, dealing with that abuse? 1000%. And I, just so we have our viewers and we know like, you know, we, ha- we do talk we are now 
talking about domestic violence. Uh, if you are someone that finds yourself in that situation, you can go to thehotline.org, which is a national domestic violence um, space. But you can also, um, if your internet is being monitored or things like that, call uh, 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 1-800-799-7233. Just want to make sure that we give a plug for um, those that may be listening that could uh, utilize, use, or share that information. Thanks so much. I, and it's funny that you credit me with having some ideas on this. I really don't to that degree. I just, I see it as, so here's my question. Like, I, I don't think Halloween town is the church in the movie. I think the church, and again, I'm, I'm going to say not the best exemplification of the church. The church is Christmas town. Um, I, I'm not the best at Advent and Christmas. I love Advent. Actually, I prefer Advent. Christmas, though, makes me uncommonly uncomfortable. Um, mm. And I'm, I guess I should talk to my spiritual director or my therapist or my sponsor or all three about it. We should have a dinner party where I go, okay, guys. Um, Actually, that's uh, a great idea. I love that. Only if they can be, a, that's your own two-on-one, please film it. Thanks so yeah, much. We'll, 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 we'll Skype you in, Spiff, and also like my mom. Um but it's <laughs> that's my nightmare before Christmas. <laughs> There's a title of the show. That means that's the end of two on one. <laughs> um, no. So like Christmas makes me, um, there's a level of like, I love the greens. I, I love how our sanctuary is set up this year. Yeah. Uh, we're using Marsha McPhee's advent series and it's really well done and it it's required next to no editing. And there's, the Great Thanksgiving has a whole lot of midwifery language in it, which I love because, um, and like Christmas is just going to be Christmas and we're going to see the people who do it. And it's like, we're counting down to it every year, but also like, I'm an ordinary time guy, like follow me to the April fool's tree, which is a shrub. I let, let's open the door on ordinary time and let's have, you know, I don't know, like Esther July. Um, oh, I'm so into that. But I think, I mean, are you, I, I, um, I, I think what I'm trying to say with it is Christmas town to me seems like hell on earth because like I can do Christmas for 12 days and that's enough time. And I know there's some people who are like, it's the day after Halloween. I'm putting up Christmas through like February and that like, I don't live there and it's okay that you do. I just, sure. there's idealized Christmas and then there's actual Christmas, just like there's idealized Halloween. Like you think that they would get sick of being like everything's run over and dead and bones. I don't know. I think I had a question in there, but I got really into the metaphor and nope. I'm worried that I've hurt Spiss feelings because. <laughs> no, you're good. Now all, all as well. I, you know, we all do it for different reasons. First of all, I was at TJ Maxx today because I'm definite Maximista and I love that. Um, they, had, they had Valentine's Day stuff already. Valentine's Day. And I was like, can we not? And also, I kind of appreciate it. Like, let's just like always have things available year round. Um, but what I was hearing from you, Arthur, maybe it wasn't so much a question, but was like the uh, the that. hole that we dig. No, but the hole that we dig ourselves when we do anything in a siloed way. That mm. like the expansiveness mm. of halloween town and christmas it all kind of becomes a road when it's just that and you stick to that and mm -hmm. that's all you know and all you do right like even if jack doesn't do well and well he does great at appropriating but like doesn't do well at figuring out how to like 
you know, uh, ally and go into a new space without taking it over, he's shifted whatever is happening there irrevocably, right? Uh-huh. Uh, as I, I like to say, as my beloved Dr. Namsoon Kong always says, you know, she'll never say nice to see you again. She'll always say nice to meet you again because she assumes that between the meetings wow. that he has last seen you, something has changed you. Maybe it's a hug, a smile, a new friend, whatever it is, you are now an entirely new person because of some event that has happened before. And I love that so deeply because it means that the miracle of, of Christmas, let's say, or the miracle of of what is that makes us who we are as created people uh, is magnified when we come together to create something entirely new every time we come together. And I think I see that for Jack going into Christmas town, even if he were to just show up, say, what is this? Hey, and then leave that town has been changed and he has been changed. And now his town has been changed and it's this effect. And so Arthur, what I was hearing is what is the, um, what happens to the church when we uh, try something new, when we allow ourselves to name our newness um, with either new people, new seasons and new things and live into that rather than saying um, it's that time of year again, let's continue to, you know, cycle in these ways that we are familiar with. Well, and that's what was, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Arthur. Oh, no, I being, was that a little bit of what you were like getting great. at? Jonda, please. You have, Interesting insight and cogent thought. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, that's what I think is so seductive, right? That I'm stating the obvious. It's what's so seductive about Christmas Town for Jack, because, and this is another place I think there's a really good analogy to the church is um, I, I preach in a lot of churches that are very fatigued. And because many of them are in decline, they're living in unconscious, low-grade grief. Um, and my experience is that grief stifles imagination and limits possibility. Um, that may not be true. Grief is not my area of expertise. Maybe I'm talking about trauma. Uh, but, and I haven't done a trauma analysis of dying churches. Honestly, uh, I, I, my big breakthrough was, oh, they're all in grief and they don't know it. That was my big revelation that I'm still trying to convince people to pay attention to. But so I can't do trauma yet. I'm not there. But um, when I when I watch this, I think so much about um, congregational transformation. And I can't tell you how many churches who have my whole heart. They are wonderful, wonderful churches that sometime about 15 years ago were like, oh, so uh, the kids like the praise music. We're going to start a praise band and they're excruciatingly bad. Now I've seen some very good praise bands. I am not going to get into the argument about how there's no such thing as a good praise band. I'm just quashing that. You don't get to say it even if you think it. I have a story when you're done. Excellent. Um, But what makes a praise band good is the passion and love and meaning that people find in it in the same way that a good to service is the same is the same thing for a good choir is the same thing for a great soloist um what in in a church setting what makes them beautiful and magical is the faith the belief the conviction the heart um and most of the dying churches can't do it and in so many ways it felt like what in recovery circles is referred to as pulling a geographic, right? No matter where you go, there you are. So thinking, okay, this is not working. We're going to go to this other place, but we bring all of our 
yeah. garbage with us. You can, say um, okay. <laughs> you can even say shit if you want to. Well, I was going to say, yeah, uh, I was, it, it was three levels of before I got to garbage. So, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and so I think that's the part of it that just brings me such heartbreak uh, as I watch it through that lens of church, because I wonder if they're going to have the chance to say, all right, taking over someone else's stuff just did harm to them and didn't help us. What do we need to do to make Halloween meaningful again? What do we need to do to make this community um, the community that serves us and those around us. It's so I, I did a, uh, I did a secret shopper thing for friends church when I had a Sunday off. Oh yeah. Uh, it was in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. That's all the detail I'm going to give, but I walked into this church and this guy was like, would you like a cup of coffee? And my answer to that always without hesitation under all circumstances is yes. I'm also seven on the Enneagram. So when we walked over to the coffee thing and it just kind of sputtered and nothing happened, he went, oh, I guess we're out. And he walked away and I'm like, well, that's <laughs> one and two. Uh, never, that again? Found me, never found me with a cup of coffee. But anyways, the worship service, uh, there's a lady up there at a keyboard and you hear this me as the screen comes up. And then they do a praise song where literally nobody sings, but the lady banging a keyboard. And then they finish it and you hear me because you can't leave the screen up. It blocks the baptistry. Right. And then they sing a hymn with an or the organist and the organist loves it. And they're all like singing because a mighty fortress is our God. Oh, and it's incredible. Yeah. And the worship service goes on. And then right before the table, me. Like they were, it was awful. And I asked them after the service, I said, why do you do the praise songs? And a person looked at me and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said, because if we do it right, our grandkids will come. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. no, they won't. No, no. Michael Busey, I think said something really uh, to this effect a couple episodes ago in which he was just like, we we've stopped being curious about the people that we want to come to our churches. Mm -hmm. Like, we have, we, we're not, we're not going to them saying like, what do you find it? We, we ask them, why don't you come? And we ask, yeah. and they don't really give us the answer. They give us an answer that they think we want to hear, yeah. but they're actually like faithful to like who they are. Like it's cause we're asking the wrong question. It's not yeah. why it's it. We need to be asking, what do you find meaningful? Yeah. What yeah. do you find as, you know, the connective tissue of who you are? And then say, what does that look like for yeah. you to lead that in our space so that we can become anew rather than again saying, how can we do that for you? They're already doing it. Right. And so, yeah. like, and that's the jacking the Christmas, right? They're already doing it. Halloween Town is already doing their thing. And it's just like, uh, we're, we're not, they're not asking the right question of, you know, like where is the meaning in each? And that meaning is the thing in which we can say uh, is, you know, connects us all. And also not one person can do that. Like it takes community. It takes the uniqueness that is all of us coming together to make some of us, you know, in the hopes that all of us will then uh, relate. Can you imagine a small congregational church doing a drag brunch? Yes. I, I can because I we're for all intents and purposes, the park is a small 
church. And uh, I'm sorry, I was unclear. Can you imagine a small, not as socially uh, responsible Midwestern church doing a drag brunch? I can dream. I can dream too. <laughs> well, and and so here's what I think is also interesting is it's not just the church needs to ask, where do you find meaning of the people around them? They're not asking it of each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think well, that's what's, I mean, it doesn't cross Jack's mind to say to anybody in his own community, hey, are you feeling the way I'm feeling? Doesn't cross his mind to ask, hey, is anyone else struggling? What do we do to bring life? Yeah. What do we do to bring some life back to this? They didn't even talk about it among themselves. No, because it's like, you know, how did he? Well, we don't like to name when we're hurting. Right. And I will. Oh, it just came to me. I bet Galileo Church would do a drag brunch. Sorry. That just came to. And, And Galileo Church is amazing. And I feel like they're outliers in the bell curve. Well, I mean, I get what you're saying that it's, you but know, we would like, like for them to be more in the middle of the bell curve. Yes, That's the I dream, right? More Galileo yeah. churches. But yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, so, but going back to that, I think you're right. Like we don't even clergy, we, you know, we're like, everyone needs to see a therapist. Everyone needs your spiritual director. Everyone needs to do all the things. And yet like, how often are we turning to each other saying like, Hey, this has been a really hard season for all of us. Like mm-hmm. you. Okay. Uh, and like for those of us that find meaning in our work to not always say you must be burnt out or this is what burnout looks like, like that we talk, cause we talk about burnout as like people like uh, I'm done, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I can get burnt out, but I can also still feel really called to that. And I don't think we hold that intention well. And I think that, um, this movie kind of shows what that might look like, right? Jack is leaning into, Jack is burnt out from yeah. all the different things of trying to keep Halloween meaningful and doing the thing and and yet feels so isolated that he has to reach out into other communities mm-hmm. and then arms other communities yep. because he doesn't turn inward to himself to say, why am oh I- Oh my thinking- gosh, it's a movie about white Buddhism. <laughs> Just kidding. So We're I- all Okay, I, I'd like to shift gears for a second, if I could. Good, because I didn't want to say anything more about that. <laughs> um, We're going to hang that on the tree. This <laughs> dance was Danny Elfman uh, as the singing voice of Jack Skellington. And Danny Elfman was a longtime collaborator with Tim Burton. But this also like made them all crazy. And they all took a break from each other after a while. But uh, Ken Page and Catherine O'Hara and Glenn Shaddix... And uh, like it's it's people who know Tim Burton and who have worked with Tim Burton. Vincent and Prince Price, Humperdinck. Yes. Uh, well, um, Tim uh, Vincent Price was supposed to be Santa, but got too sick after the death of his wife. Yeah. But let's all just stop for a second and imagine Vincent Price as Santa. Okay. But also, um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of buildup in it. Here's what I like. Paul Rubens is the voice of Locke, uh, the devil. Paul Rubens was arrested two years prior to this for uh, publicly masturbating in a pornographic movie theater in Florida. And for those deuces that don't know, Paul Rubens is also Pee Wee Herman. Right. (laughs) At the height of Pee Wee Herman's stardom. Yep. One could say that perhaps Paul Rubens was struggling with fame and the (laughs) implications of it. And there's more to it than just wanking in a, uh, anyways, I don't need to go down that road. Paul Rubens had a small little bit part. Mm-hmm. 
that he insisted he wouldn't be credited for, but Tim Burton did. And it was tiny. And it's hard to hear his voice because it's altered as Locke. What if redemption is simply inclusion? Mm-hmm. Mm. And what does it mean to include those that have not, who are outcasts, but who have been casted out? Mm-hmm. And of course, how do we create amends and uh, how do we do this with justice yeah. and aplomb? It's more hypothetical. I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's not. It's not. not. Shauna, you want to go or? No, go ahead. Well, I'm just, you know, uh, someone once asked me, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, uh, what is the gospel I wish I knew? And um, I generally say that it's Vashti because we think of Vashti being cast out and leaving, you know, like pulling herself out or there's a lot of the unknown, but what we don't name. So in the book of Esther, as we all know, like there's no actual mention of God, right? But like there's God everywhere. Uh-huh. And we always kind of imagine that story as God staying in the castle with Esther and everything. But like, what is the story of Vashti and God out in that world? And like, as we, as we go beyond, um, and so that for me kind of is, is what is that, that net? I was like, Arthur, what was the question? There was, uh, how do we deal with not the people who have been? Uh, yeah, out? so the, the the castaway, right? Like, is that like not only those that we have cast out, does God go with them? But those that have been cast out that we catch, God has journeyed with them into our space anew as well. And so, like, how do we hold that? How do we let God thrive in a space um, where often we think of having the stronghold on what God's survival looks like? Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. It like that we've the church is like we have God. We, you change the carpet. Oh my gosh, you've taken God out of the sanctuary, you know, and all the things. But it's like this is where God dwells, right? We talk a lot about God's dwelling place, and where the gospel in and of itself is a story of God's movement. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think when we cast people out, um, we hope that they end up somewhere. And wherever the somewhere is, we know that God is also there. And we don't like that because it feels like we, it's like, it's like spiritual FOMO. And so um, I well, wonder well, if that is part of it, right? That like, it's, um, <coughs> that that's where we're, but we, you know, that, that it's that um, God is everywhere and nowhere and here and yet not there and yet what is next and not, you know, and like the, all the things. And so, um, and in the season of Advent, we can get rote uh, in our understanding of what comes next. If all we do is say, this is what has happened. Um, and or instead of saying what is about to change. And Advent's about the second coming and joy to the world is an eschatological Easter song. My mother wants it sung at her funeral. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Uh-huh. Uh, I think my advanced directives still say that I want We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together Again by Taylor Swift to play as my uh, urn is carried out. And um <laughs> going to leave it that way. Offline, I'll tell you what the joke used to be of what my final song at my funeral will be, but I can't say it online. Wow. I will name it a Michael Bolton song. So. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. What do you think, though, about uh, being out, being cast out and being the outcast? I mean, so what's interesting about the film is that Halloween Town is a community that 
can thrive in the world one day out of the year. And thank goodness they have each other the other 364 days, right? Because what's acceptable in the broader world uh, one day out of the year doesn't have any place in it the rest of the time. Um, and so I think there's also an element of that as a community of people who are otherwise cast out um, and have pretty significant constraints placed on where they're allowed to function within um, society. So. And like we talked about before, the people making the movie, uh, it was 365 days a year that they were cast out. Um, So I think the idea of redemption of community doesn't show up in the movie and didn't show up in the community that made the movie because they had claimed that as who they were. And so as a collective, they didn't need redemption um, because... Yeah, they they weren't an Ark of the Covenant kind of group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> and so I think uh, by which I mean, you know, people who believe that God dwells within um, that copy of the Torah, or um, and and moves with the community in that embodiment. Um, and so I think that that question of, I mean, I think there's something pretty beautiful about. Tim Burton, who does have an awful lot of power in this moment, um, saying to Paul Rubens in his own way, it's been long enough. Yeah. Um, You have gifts that I want to honor. I think Mm -hmm. that's remarkable. And I've been a part of, I've been witness to churches that have taken in people who had done real harm, um, who, who even when they reached out to the church said, I know that I've done this harm. I know that there are constraints that you should put in place so that people can feel safe. Um, And, and for a church, and I know churches who have said that's too much. We can't navigate it. Um, It'll do too much harm. Just you being present. And I know churches who have said, we're in a position where we can take that on. Um, And there's something I remember being at the bedside of somebody who, um, had done significant harm and who had gone to his church and gone to this church and said, if you have me, it needs to be under these conditions. And I'm used to churches saying they can't. And this church said they would. Um, And they took him in and they found he always ran the sound because that was always in public view. Uh, It gave him a gift to offer and it mitigated all of the other concerns. And for him to get to go to his final resting place, being prayed over by his pastor and the members of that congregation, um, that's what the church can be. Mm. I've seen it. it, Well, and I would venture to say that is that is church and the rest of, you know, those that of us that can't and won't and for whatever reason, like are are simply um, you know, we're trying our best to get there, yeah. right? Like, it, um, and we get there in our own ways and, and in new seasons, then we also have to start again. Right. Because I think there's that end game of like, we've gotten here, let's stay here rather than saying we've gotten here. And now let's, what's the next thing that we are working towards, right? We can celebrate yeah. and be in that. Um, it's your once a year, here's our Halloween town and it's Halloween. So let's celebrate, but rather than, you know, now what does it look like for next year's Halloween? Yeah. 
to move into it. And I wonder, my final question before our final question, if I might, and just, I realize we're probably running out. Our penultimate question, yes. Our penultimate question um, is, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of outcasts making outcast things and, you know, all of that. And yet the church, I think so often thinks of itself, especially in this season of Advent and Christmas as we're reading all the stories of, you know, a, a, um, a teen, a teen, a pregnant teen wandering, um, with her older husband, older partner, let's say, and, uh, all the unknowns that are a part of it. And yet we think of ourselves as always the main right. Or like the space in which they come do, would the church do well, or I guess the local congregations do well so that the, you know, the church writ large can posture itself in this way to one, one year, maybe lean in and act out what it means to be those that have said no room here. Because oh. I think that we, if all we think of ourselves is, as the people where people land, right? Like we are the place that has welcomed Mary rather than saying, you know, this year is going to be the year in which we take on understanding what it means to say no, you know, like. Keep to, on moving, Maria. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know. What do you all think of that? Because also I want to be like, and yet, like, I'm a big Christmas person and I believe that Christmas has a beautiful place within our tradition and, um, and all of that. But it's, uh, I wonder if helping our people understand more deeply that more often than not, we are the innkeeper that says no room here rather than we are the um, manger of welcome that uh, where people finally land. Well, the only, the only way Santa was able to save Christmas in the nightmare before Christmas is that Jack had to confess his wrong and name it. Hmm. He said, can you save Christmas? And Santa said, and I wish it were in Vincent Price's voice. Of course I can save Christmas. I'm Santa. And it wasn't, and now you come ride with me. It wasn't, it's okay. You're still on my nice list. He right. Up yours, buddy. And Santa went to go fix it. Yeah. He was a he and a, he was cranky. He was cranky. <laughs> and it's it's that. Um yeah. I, I think it's it, it, there has to be that tied into it, and the church doesn't confess, so the church doesn't repent, so the yeah. church doesn't reconcile. And we Which is interesting. Those- no, I love that because originally, and I'm obsessed with this. Y'all know that because you read the intro to the devotional. I'm obsessed with the earliest manifestation of Advent was a season mm-hmm. of penitence because that's what it was going to take to get ready. You know. Because we weren't just getting ready for a cute little baby born in a manger, blah, blah, blah. We were getting ready for the coming of the Christ. And so that's why we read John the Baptist passages. You know, John was a grown-ass man. Jesus was a grown-ass man when all of that was happening. And to get right, I preached about this yesterday, uh, to get right with, uh, with God is actually, in theory, part of the process of being equipped to receive the gifts of the Christ in our lives. And uh, we do not approach Advent that way. And I think it is to our detriment. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, we are cognizant of the time. That's one of my favorite phrases here on Two on One. And (laughs) our guests and our listeners, uh, we do have a final question that we ask all of our guests, without exception, for 81 episodes. Uh, Spiff is mm, statistically likely to be the one to do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> statistically likely. And I will be the one to do it today. Shonda, thank you again for coming on. You were um, so much fun. It's always a pleasure to have you on. You, we love you. Our deuces love you. You know, uh, uh, you're you're amazing. Um, and y'all go go get her devotional. They they they're incredible. Um, so, uh, which biblical uh, story, theme, narrative, character, verse are you most reminded of in um, the nightmare? Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Do you know they tagged that Tim Burton's on in front of it because Disney wanted to get as much distance from it as possible, it which brought, I think is hilarious. Release it under Touchstone. It was a whole thing. Yep, exactly. Um, so, I'm really glad I knew this question in advance because I have an answer, which is. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas has me looking at the story of Paul and the statue of the unnamed God in a very different fashion, because what happens in that passage is he uh, he says, oh, so you've got this statue to, y- y'all are, you know, polytheistic. Um, you've got this statue to the unnamed God. I know who that God is. He jacks skeletons. They're polytheism. You're polytheistic. Have you ever thought of being Pauline theistic? (laughs) And so I know we lift up that story. Well, evangelicals in particular lift up that story as like this beautiful, like, look at how I can, you know, bring the word and meet people where they are and help them see the error of their ways. Um, But legit, he was Jack Skellingtoning. Um, the statue of the unnamed God. What, what do y'all call this festival? This festival? I don't care. It's about Jesus' birthday. Yes. We're gonna burn your village. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, Arthur, can I go next? Only That's because. Good. Yeah, because the so, whole. Well, because at one point I was like, "What am I gonna do?" So I'm gonna go to my original because my only because my second where I had landed was Jack is Paul because Paul just goes in and just legitimately like bulldozers like bulldozers over people's community and faith and traditions to be like and here you go so I'm gonna go to my original what I originally kind of had put in what I was reminded of but I was afraid it wasn't gonna make sense because it's a little on the antithetical side most of my things are always like it it looks like a parallel to this Uh I'm going to go with Jack and Ruth are kind of anti, like they, 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 they operate in kind of like polar opposites in which Jack comes in and is like, I'm going to take over your things. And here are the things. And Ruth is like, your God will be my God. Yes. Here you go. Like here's how to like, I guess, assimilate or like, here's how to like come into community with, you know, with your own gifts and understanding, but without saying, you know, I got to, we got to do it this way because this is where I'm at cultural humility i love it so that was um, she is the antidote to antidote to jack i love it yeah ruth is the ruth is kind of in that sally-ish way like the antidote uh that ties into my answer my answer is uh sally is the church when the church has its shit together um because she is the one we do not listen to when she should be listened to uh, she is able to rescue Santa and put into motion the process of restoration and reconciliation at risk to herself by using every part of her body in different and creative ways, including, um, and she's right there on the front lines, ready to fall, protecting the weak from the strong, uh, in the strong. Oh, amen. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been two on one, and this has also been a pleasure. I know I've closed the show now three times, but this is the charm. Uh, Shonda Jha, thank you so much. Shonda Jha is a provocateur and activist, a 
basically like somebody who Empire doesn't like. Uh, Shonda is also <laughs> author of Room at the Table and Pre-Post-Racial America and uh, Liberating Love, 365 Love Notes from God. And of course, this right here, Traveling with Our Ancestors, an Advent devotional. You can get it from chalicepress.com. Use the discount code 2-on-1 for 0% off your order at Chalice Press. But we are- And then Brad Lyons and say, what's up? We are sponsored by Jeff One Row Designs. And if you use two-on-one, all one word, all letters at checkout at jeffonerow.com, you get 15% off every stole you buy. That's buy seven, get one free. All right. On behalf of two-on-one, I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart. I'm the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. And And y'all happy Advent. Christmas is coming. Thank you. Get more two-on-one at two-on-one project.com.